T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Good morning and welcome to the morning briefing for Wednesday, October 31st, Halloween. 2018. I'm your host, Eric Dame. Phil Bird Dog Briggs is joining me in studio. And coming up on the show today, we're going to talk to Chris Clamp. Chris is a retired Air Force A 10 Warthog pilot. For my money, the coolest aircraft in the United States military inventory. Although it's not going to be there too much longer, getting retired in the next four or five years, I believe. Uh, he's now, though, the CEO of Hire Heroes USA, an organization that does a lot of great work to get veterans not just into jobs, but into the right job for them. They're basically trying to turn job searching into career searching for veterans. Find something you'll want to stick with for a good long while. And it's not just for veterans. It's also for family members. That's right. Military spouses. They are eligible for that as well. We're going to talk to him about the amazing programs that they have to offer, including a couple of newish things. And Bird Dog is raising his hand, much like the kindergartner inside that he is. I have you a have a question already. Jeez, what is it? Hire heroes. So it's not... Jobs that involve wearing tights and a cape. No, this is Damn. not. Uh, if you're looking for work as a superhero, yes. you want to go elsewhere. Oh. Where do you want to go? I'm not sure exactly. Uh, you want to start probably with looking up a good gym, building up your physical uh, stamina and no, everything. No, that's, that's not my superpower. But that's What's a, your superpower, Phil? A conversation for another time. Oh, yeah, it's probably not okay for public broadcast. I do not <laughs> want to be on a watch list, so let's keep that down. Phil Bird Dog Briggs joining me in studio this morning for the show. And let's take a look at these Halloween headlines, although they're not specifically related to Halloween. But this one's kind of scary, Phil. You remember those Taliban prisoners that we freed from Guantanamo Bay in exchange for Bo Bergdahl? Yes, sadly, yes. What did you think that those, like, five, I think there were seven total, but uh, five uh, big, no, I guess there were five total, the five uh, former Taliban leaders who were sent to Qatar by the United States, and Qatar was like, don't worry, we'll keep an eye on them, we'll make right, sure they're, right. what did you think they were going to do? Do you think they were going to contact uh, the Taliban's version of Higher Heroes USA and try to find a career for them, or what did you expect to happen to those five Taliban leaders who were uh, freed from Gitmo and basically sent back over uh, to that part of the world? Yeah, sure, like every freed terrorist, you know, they're rehabilitated, you expect them to get into a new line of work, maybe oh, yeah. they'll become an accountant, maybe, maybe, yeah, we, maybe work at a local convenience store. The Peace Corps? I, yeah, some of them some might join the Peace Corps. Possibly right? with a Domino's route or something as a delivery driver. Mm. You know, I mean, the, you expect them to just just fold right back into the fabric of society. Well, the options for them apparently were endless, if you look at things with that glass-half-full perspective that <laughs> Phil Briggs does. Uh, however, shockingly, they have chosen to return to the Taliban. And those five... Who knew? Yeah, who would have predicted Shocker. that? I don't know. How about uh, everybody? These five that were released, uh, we're talking about Mullah Narula Nori, Mohammed Nabi Omari, Mohammed Fazl, Kairula Kairqwa, and Abdul Haq Wasik, uh, have now joined the Taliban's political office in Qatar. That's interesting, too. The Taliban has a political office in Qatar, the country that we released these five senior Taliban operatives who were some of the most hardcore 
These were people that no, were eh? closely affiliated and on a personal knowledge basis with Mullah Omar, the leader of the Taliban. Not only do we release them and send them for another country to keep an eye on them, we send them to a country where the Taliban has a political office in place. I kill you. Do you think that it is an office that's in just like a strip mall in Qatar? Right. <laughs> like our military recruiting offices. Like, oh, look, there's a, there's a Blimpies. Right. There's a, a liquor store. And, oh, the Taliban's political office. My God. Taliban lobbyists, as Joe <laughs> Shinelli was saying. You know what? There's probably more truth to that than we'd like to admit. Their rallies are really, really scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So according to Taliban spokesman Zabihullah Mujahid, he said yesterday that these five will now be among Taliban representatives negotiating for peace in Afghanistan. Again, these are five hardcore originals of the Taliban. These are not like nice right. guys, and these were not political prisoners. These were military commanders on the battlefield in Afghanistan who took American lives and took even more Afghan lives. They will now be involved in discussing the prospects for peace in Afghanistan. And why? Because we gave those five up to get back Bo Bergdahl, who then be tried and convicted of being a uh, traitor, essentially, and deserting his post. Looking back on that trade, um, as as you do in sports and things like that. Sure. For example, I, while I haven't watched a single game this year, I am supposedly an Oakland Raiders fan. They traded the best defensive player in football, Khalil Mack, to the Chicago Bears, and I said this is going to be one of the worst trades in the history of the NFL. Um, this trade, these five guys for Bo Bergdahl, worst trade in the history of the United States. What do you think, Phil? I mean, certainly, you know, it defies any logic, and 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 I think if we were looking at a win loss record here, we would, you know, it would have been a trade that has resulted yeah. in zero wins. I mean, z- zero it's point a, zero zero. It's a difficult thing because, listen, we do not want to leave any of our military members in the hands of the enemy. However, when you work like this and trade five senior operatives to get back. A young soldier of zero strategic value to us who also abandoned his post and, you know, just it, it's people I, died looking for him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah well, seriously injured. I don't Did they ever prove that anyone definitively died while looking for I mean, people died in the area while that was like a secondary mission. Um, but I, guess, I, well, I guess more. Or yeah. What I'm yeah. But anyway, to, but. The, the, the issue is, I mean, the optics of it for us like, oh, great. Now these five are going to be in a position to put more American lives in danger, just like the guy who we traded them for did when he abandoned his post. It is. It's difficult because, again, you don't want anybody over there barring some you know, military serial killer or mass murderer or something like that. And Bergdahl is not that. Let's be clear. Uh, if, if someone like that were to go over, like uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, if he were plying his trade while he was still in the Army, there's a freaky one for you. Jeffrey Dahmer was actually an Army medic. Imagine that. You go in to get your blood drawn, and it's Jeffrey Dahmer taking it, and you find out about it 20 years later when they find a bunch of heads in his refrigerator. That's a, that's not good. But barring that, I mean, you want to get these people back, but I, the conversation has to happen. Like, did we give up too much for what we got back? Yes, it's an American, but this is similar to, uh, similar but different because he served in the military, but it's similar to those two idiots that went over there backpacking and hiking. While she was pregnant. Do you remember that couple? I do. Yep. And they got <laughs> captured. Who would have thought? And held hostage for years. They had more children while in captivity. Finally uh, released by their captors. I don't know uh, exactly what the transfer was there. I'm sure there was some money or something that went back and forth. Came back to the States and had even more problems there. Uh, Bo Bergdahl, for these five who are 
of great tactical and strategic value to the Taliban. I, you know, it's it's when you look at just what they got and what we got. That's not a good trade in my book. Again, I, I just wonder when they go to a political gathering in Qatar. Yeah, and they come representing you know their party, the t- a Taliban party. Yeah, do they make them like put the their backpack or their bag at the door or do they have to check that like up the street because that's oh. i'm telling you the last thing i'd want to see is a guy representing the taliban with his like briefcase in his hand yeah. or a backpack around well, his shoulders and it's and and, you know. and it's uh you check know, that up the street there's sir. a lot of infighting within those groups as well they are not as uh as all together as as some people would like to believe there are different uh, versions within the Taliban, different cells, different sects almost that believe slightly different things. Uh, but we now know that those five are back working for the Taliban in an official capacity as some sort of political lobbyists, as uh, as was being pointed out on our Facebook Live segment. By the way, follow Connecting Vets on social media. We are at Connecting Vets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Technology is a beautiful thing. Social media Sometimes a beautiful thing. There's also a technology out there, Phil, as we move on, that I think, and I was just thinking about this as the story popped up for me last night, I think that this technology could save the military millions, if not billions of dollars, and the VA too. And that technology is 3D printing. Nice. 3D printers, of course, allow you to put in a blueprint for essentially anything that you can come up with a working, functioning blueprint for, whether it's pieces, whether it's a a single uh, thing. What the VA is currently using them for, prosthetics. Yeah, I was going to say, I've just read that you could print a leg. Yeah. And this is uh, a story coming to us from KOMO News. And this is in uh, Washington State. And it talks about uh, a, a veteran who goes to the VA Puget Sound Healthcare System, lost his thumb after a household accident, lost the use of his fingers during one of three surgeries. But now they're able to uh, 3D print him, basically a replacement thumb, to get back on there. And that's fantastic. It's great. Yeah. And when you hear about 3D printing prosthetics, here's where it could be a huge money saver. Right now, the VA has to purchase most of their prosthetics from prosthetics-making companies, and they have to buy all the product. You know, hmm. They have to go out there and do it. What if they could bring all that in-house? Similarly, what if the military could bring everything that is physically capable at this point through 3D printing? It is somewhat limited. We do know that. Right. It's basically, plastics is what 3D printing is all about. They're not 3D printing in metal, at least as far as I know yet. Um, what if the military could bring that in? Replacement parts that are plastic, build those up. How much money could we save through this uh, miracle of 3D printing that somebody came up with? Are you saying they could eventually print, like, parts for airplanes or, you know, truck parts or MRAP replacement parts? Anything that the the type of plastic that you're able to use in a 3D printer could feasibly be used uh, by the military if they were able to, you know, these replacement parts. Here's a good example, and I don't know if this one would be possible. They'd probably have to add something into it, but how about those cups we talked about for the Air Force that they plug into <laughs> the, the C-130s right that are like $1,800 a pop that they finally stopped paying for because people went, hey, how come right. you're paying $1,800 a pop for a coffee mug that has a crappy handle that breaks off all the time? It's a valid question. It's a good question. There was no good answer to the question. They stopped doing it. What if the Air Force could print off their own warming coffee cups? They could at least do the cup part or the handles that kept breaking. Come up with your own replacement for the handle, and then you don't have to rebuy these $1,800 cups. Things like that. Things like, you know, you think about it, possibly weaponry. 
You know that there was well, a guy. Wasn't that the big thing in the news of uh, what just a few months ago? Uh, yeah. The fear that the 3D printing of guns could yep. be released to the internet and on open source or on the dark web, we could be downloading the blueprints to right. you know make Anything. guns of plastic. Well, and there's a guy who did down in Texas. He's uh, he's a big time gun fan, and he started making uh, 3D guns down in Texas and said he was going to put the blueprints online and that it was his right to do so, and nobody could stop him from doing it. Uh, ATF and the government and some other people have uh, a lot of questions about that. There are injunctions working to stop him from yeah. doing it. When you looked into it, it turned out the guy, I think it was more about publicity than anything else, because mm -hmm. as the guy put forward uh, in interviews, if you really read deep into them, it was usually toward the end. Most of the guns that he threw 3D printed were failures. They did not shoot, yeah, or they blew up in his hand or things like that. So not a uh, not a reliable firearm. I wouldn't want to go into any kind of battle with a plastic gun. I mean, it would just seem safer if well, I had an actual do. gun that was made by a gun manufacturer. Yep. Here's to... the thing: many of the parts of the M16 and the M4 are plastic. For real? Yeah. There's plastic parts. Now, of course, you have a metal base to the weapon. The barrel is metal because, well, the barrels heat up and plastic tends not to do all that well, well with, with heat. heat. Yeah. Um, but there are uh, many plastic coverings. Like, you know, the, on the M16, when you look forward, you've got the grip on the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all plastic. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's a lot of plastic parts to our firearms now. And I don't think yet we're at the point where they could print off their own weaponry using 3D printers. But at some point in the future, right. I think they could. And think about the kind of money that that would save, how much money we spend on things that we might one day in the military, the DOD, the VA, be able to produce themselves. What about something as simple as like a syringe? How much money does the VA yeah. spend every year on syringes? How much cheaper would it be if we were able to 3D print those syringes? These are the ideas that come to me as I'm flipping through the news <laughs> at night or when I first wake up in the morning and I'm brushing my teeth. And this one was, uh, I think it could be, not yet, but at some point could be, a really groundbreaking thing when it comes to the budget that the military uh, has and spends and, and where we spend our money. I think it can make a big difference. You could 3D print all the lunch trays in the commissary and, you know. Oh, and the, I yeah, mean, which thinking. who knows how much they pay for those things. Think about it. The military overpays for everything. We've heard about the toilet seats that cost like right, $1,500 right. years ago. A lot of that was um, basically... Oh, we'll, we'll say that we're spending $1,500 $1, on this toilet seat, but really the money's going somewhere else, right. uh, which they've figured out a lot of that, but there's still some of it going on. Uh, anything that is plastic at this point, and I would think at some point in the future they're going to figure out 3D printing for metal on, yeah. a, on a positive basis. And the military does do some of this with like their metal shops, the machinery repairmen on Navy ships. They're able to create some parts, not all of them, and I don't think ever the military would be able to bring everything in-house or the VA would be able to bring anything, everything in-house, but it could make a su substantial dent in those budgets, which are, of course, through the roof. Well, certainly in the medical field, I know it's a breakthrough and it'd be really appreciated. You could get them customized, you get them in different yeah. colors, you get them like an orange leg or a, like, a, you know, your favorite team colors, burgundy and gold right. in my case. Yeah. So, I mean, some of it is- I just uh, wonder, can you 3D pr print like any prosthetic for- any appendage? If you can come up with a body? blueprint for it, if you can design the shape of it, you can 3D print it. I mean, really? you can make anything in there. It's 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 still an advancing technology. It's not perfect, but it's, it's getting there. And I think at some point we're going to see it uh, really make a difference. Here's the thing, though. If we have it, guess who else has it? This 3D printing technology yeah, is right. not like uh, U.S. only. This is, our enemies are going to have the same ability, abilities. Then the Taliban, who we were just talking about, what if they get their hands on a 3D printer? What are they going to do with it? 
they're probably not going to be making like little figurines and uh, happy smiley face <laughs> plastic things to hang up on the wall. Just an idea. But I, I do think it's going to be a game changer in the future uh, for budgetary reasons. Yeah. And then it might be able to just come up with some really interesting new uh, products that go out there. I don't know. It just worries me, Eric. I don't want to know what the person with the sixth sense of humor in the medical field is going to be 3D printing. No, yeah. If no. you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, remember. That's an appendage a, I don't think we need an extra prosthetic we, for. We just talked about on uh, on Halloween, no less, that Jeffrey Dahmer was an army medic. Right. <laughs> Imagine if he had access to a 3D printer. What would he have done with that? Probably nothing good. Uh, but when I talk about 3D printing making a dent in the budget, one thing that we're spending money on right now Sending troops down to the border. And these are not National Guard troops. This is active duty soldiers from Fort Campbell and Fort Knox in Kentucky. 5,200 military personnel are on their way down there. As pointed out in a story by Matt Sainsing on ConnectingVets.com, which you should be checking out 50, 60 times a day minimum. Uh that's more than twice the number of troops currently serving in Syria to counter the Islamic State. Operation Burrito. Of course, I don't believe that's what it's called. No, no. Oh, okay. That, that's that's awful. The mission in Syria is, of course, a train assist and advise mission. It's not a combat mission. Right. Um, but still, the numbers are interesting. The deployments could last until mid-December, and they include three engineer battalions, member of the Corps of Engineers, aviation, medical, and logistics units. So these are... Not infantry units. We're not sending the infantry down there, which I think a lot of civilians here, the military is going, and they, they picture, you know, Navy SEALs, Green Berets, and, and infantry <laughs> soldiers going down to just set up machine gun nests along Rockets, the border. Rockets, missiles, 50 cows. No. That's, that's not what they're doing. The aviation units are going to be used to spot and identify groups as they're uh, trying to come across the border and then rapidly deploy customs and border protection personnel um the well we have to create a city down there or some kind of facilities to screen them and to process yeah. their applications for asylum so it's going to be you know like you said engineers to make a tent city so they can be safely housed and um i think the administration was kind of right in saying you know it's not our place to just go spend millions of dollars to create buildings yeah. in a permanent way down there because right. you know that would be developing a whole new government program that is not necessarily needed full-time. but The president said that there will be tent cities being built down there, telling Fox News on Monday, we're going to put tents up all over the place. They're going to be very nice, and they're going to wait, and if they don't get asylum, they get out. That's how it's supposed to work, really. Um, some questions about why he's using active duty instead of the National Guard. I don't know, but if I spitball an idea out there, activating the National Guard for a, a two-month deployment has a significant effect on those people, on their employment. I would say their jobs, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they are uh, – is this what they're kind of made for? Yeah, it's right there in the title. National Guard. They guard the nation. The border would be a part of that. They also have an ability um, under uh, the guidelines to do a little bit more down on the border than the active duty military does. Um, however, these active duty military, they're there and you're able to use them. You don't have to. It's not costing any additional money for paying them, which for the National Guard, when they're activated, they get paid like they're on active duty. So you're adding 5,200 more people to the payroll, all that stuff going on. Uh, I, I, you know, that's just my guess on on why they would be doing that. Um, this caravan is uh, moving through Mexico currently. The number of migrants apparently has uh, dropped from 7,000 down to 4,000. A few thousand have 
turned around, um, and we'll see exactly what happens there. Of course, when I was clicking through the uh, the major news sites today and looking for the uh, the veteran issues, uh, former guest of the show featured on CNN Politics in an article that says veterans slam Trump for border quote stunt, and of course, talking to them is Will Fisher of Vote Vets. Vote Vets is kind of as far as I don't want to use the word extreme because extreme to me has negative connotations, but they're pretty far to the left, about as far to the left as you go in the mainstream uh, veteran community. Uh, but here's what Will said to CNN. Donald Trump thinks unarmed people who are fleeing horrors and are still 1000 miles away are a national security threat a week before Election Day. I don't think so. It's a political ploy to blow upon the embers of racism and nativism, and he is using the military again as a political prop to advance his own agenda um hmm. yeah i don't know if i agree i don't know that. how you're supposed to assemble a tent city though i mean should we wait three days before they get here to do that wait until I mean, they're actually there yeah, or wait you, until they're all there and then we to have plan. to kind of do it i mean i you know I, i'm not going to get political on it but i'm going to say that a little a, you know being proactive to have right. some sort of order for them to be processed if indeed they are truly fleeing horrors and horrific conditions that they cannot solve any other way other than coming here. Um, we need to have something in place to screen them. We need to, you know, yeah, we need to have a, a system in place and you just can't do that with three days before they get here. No, I mean, let's take a couple weeks and do it right. And when you talk about that thousand miles, uh, if they're walking, then yeah, that's probably going to take them a month or so to go a thousand miles. You know, if you're, I mean, how, how far are you going to walk a day? If you're walking five miles a day, that is, I don't know, a lot of days to get yeah, here, yeah, basically. Yeah. But they're not. There's vehicles that are bringing them as well. I mean, they could cover 100,000, or sorry, 1,000 miles, not 100,000. They could cover 1,000 miles in a vehicle in a couple of days. I mean, mm -hmm. 500 miles a day is not a, a particularly lengthy drive. I do a 250-mile drive up to New York and Connecticut pretty regularly. I've done the back and forth in a single day. So they could be as as close as one to two days away at a thousand miles if you have uh, that transportation bringing you along there. On so, an unrelated note, if they were Scottish, I believe if they were from Scotland, they would be able to walk 500 miles and I could walk five. Do you see the look on my face? <laughs> the Proclaimers! Yeah, oh, no, I'm, I'm fully aware of the I Proclaimers. Five hundred yeah, miles. Oh boy, that's 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 Phil Bird Dog Briggs for you right there. That's that's why we bring him into the studio. Taking a quick hit at a couple other stories. The mayor of New York City, Bill De Blasio, has announced a plan to assist twelve thousand veterans who are at risk of eviction due to the GI Bill benefit delays. The delays come as a result of what the VA is calling technical issues that occurred after the president signed the Forever GI Bill. They had many months to prepare for the August 1st deadline, and they didn't make it. Uh, the technical issues, I, I guess that's what you could call it. You could also call it incompetence because we keep seeing the same things happen over and over again. And we just talked to Tony Lowe from the VFW last week about this issue, and they're hearing from members who are receiving eviction notices, and they're also receiving um, repossession notices for their cars. It's having a really negative effect on a lot of uh, student veterans' lives. But in New York City, the Department of Veterans Services and Department of Social Services are going to streamline the process for student veterans to get evaluated for financial assistance. So while they normally count on GI Bill payments, now New York City will essentially help them uh, get what they need to get until those GI Bill payments come through and they're back paying everything. 12,000 veterans in New York City alone. That's about one-tenth of the total number of veterans who are still hmm. uh, not receiving their full GI Bill benefits, or at least as of last Friday, uh, I 
don't know if that number has changed yet. They were hoping that by sometime next week, uh, the number would be down to zero or close to zero. And then a study came out, and uh, this is an interesting one. We see the report over on Military Times, of course, the survey coming out about veterans' health risks. And it says we're cutting back on smoking and drinking, but still face significant health risks. One of the biggest ones, lack of sleep, where veterans are over 10% more likely to to not get enough sleep than the general population. Uh, We still are more likely to smoke and drink than the general population, but the numbers are actually dropping and have dropped over the last few years. So, you know, that's a good thing to hear that the veteran community is getting slightly more healthy. We got quite a ways to go. uh, And knowing many of the veterans that I know, I don't think too many of them answered this survey because they probably would have thrown off the data a little bit if they did that. Veterans also more likely to contract arthritis, 2% more likely than the general population. Cardiovascular disease, 3% more likely. Cancer, 1% more likely. And illnesses that leave them functionally impaired, 5% more likely. So there are some health risks affiliated with the veteran community. This is just about the numbers. It's not about the causes of anything. It's not about that because there's a lot of things to look into there. And that's kind of what we do. Joe Chanelli saying sleep is overrated. Well, yeah, he's basically commuting up to Canada like twice a week. And then he's (laughs) working in uh, Washington, D.C. with AMVETS. Uh, Yeah, we've got uh, a lot going on uh, and it's hard, hard to get as much sleep as you need. But you should really try to. It's a big health risk. Not a health risk? Checking out ConnectingVets.com and following us on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Coming up on today's show, right after this, we're going to talk to Chris Plamp, retired Air Force A-10 Warthog pilot and current CEO of Higher Heroes USA. That's coming up right after this. Eric Dame, Phil Bird Dog Briggs. Hey. You're listening to The Morning Briefing from Intercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day and Connecting Vets right after this. Welcome back to the Morning Briefing from Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is the slogan, and it's what we do, and I'll tell you why we do it. It's because each and every member of our team is very closely related to the military. In fact, nearly all of us know what it's like to have worn the uniform, and just as importantly, know what it's like to have taken it off that very last time. We also know the difficulty that can come when you're looking for work after you serve, when you're looking for a place to belong after you serve. And we're trying to get you the information that can lead you to those things and so much more right there at ConnectingVets.com and also on social media where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Our next guest is returning to the show. He is the CEO of Higher Heroes USA. He retired from the United States Air Force in 2014, and we're going to talk to him first a little bit about a recap of his military service and then some really awesome stuff that they're doing with the team at Higher Heroes USA. But he is Chris Plamp, who joins us now in the morning briefing. Good morning, Chris. How are you today? Good morning, Eric. Doing great. Glad to be here again. Well, it's great to have you back again. And of course, you served in the United States Air Force, retiring as a colonel, as I said, in 2014. And you had what I think has to be the coolest job in the Air Force, that being the pilot of the A-10 Warthog with that big old Gatling gun up front and all that good stuff. But when you think back on your time in the Air Force, your many years in the Air Force, what's the, the biggest thing that pops up as far as what you remember most about your time? in service? Well, I will tell you that not only do you think I had the best job in the Air Force, I had the best job in the Air Force. Being an A-10 pilot was absolutely incredible. But 
anytime I think about my service in the Air Force, I always go back to the team members that I got to work with, whether that was in the Air Force, down to crew chiefs getting my my airplane ready, the people loading bombs onto it, the people taking care of my life support equipment, to when I worked in special operations in the joint world and working with Army Special Operations and Navy SEALs. Everybody that I interfaced with in the military was incredible, and uh, it was the best part. Of course, you've done fairly well. You're the CEO of Higher Heroes USA. But if you think back to 2014 when you retired as a colonel, what do you think you could have done better when it came time to leave the Air Force? What do you think you may have uh, not done as well as you could have? Well, absolutely. Having been in this job now for four years, what I didn't do was start early. Um, I waited until I kind of made the decision, hey, I'm think I'm going to retire from the Air Force. And at that point, it was too late. Uh, I should have started 12, 18 months out to start thinking about what I wanted to do, how to position myself, how to start getting a network done, how to get my social media presence correctly. All these things that I should have been doing, I had no idea. I didn't do them. And as such, my transition was probably much harder than it had to be. Is that something that you find through your work with Higher Heroes USA is taking place, particularly at those those higher ranks, your senior enlisted, your senior officers who maybe assume that they're going to be prepared for when they get out so they don't do the prep work that some other people might? We do find that, though we thought it was more prevalent than it was. Uh, this last year, we published uh, a new report called the Higher Heroes Report, and it took all of our data from 2017. And one of the really stark findings was that most of the military is actually coming and asking for our services significantly before they get out. The average time is about nine months before they get out, which is fantastic, with one exception. The exception is the junior enlisted. The junior enlisted were coming to us on an average eight months after they got out, which I think can really throw it off. Now, that still means that a significant number of people are not truly thinking about their about their transition until way later than I think they should be. But it's the junior enlisted that concern me the most. That is certainly a concern. And it's also a group that, you know, having been one uh, at one point in my life, a junior enlisted sailor, (laughs) uh, I got out as more of a senior guy. But had I gotten out after one tour, say four or five years or something like that, I I don't know that I would have prepared. Do you think that there's anything that we can do to make sure that our junior enlisted are preparing more? Or is it just really on them? Well, I think we can do a few things. I would actually say that the Department of Labor and the Department of Defense has done a great job at making sure that it's more known inside of the military uh, through a redoing of the TAP class, through working with commanders. I even went to the Army uh, Sergeant Major Academy and talked to them about trying to get the word out earlier to, to their members. All of these are valuable, but it basically boils down to that younger generation just doesn't start thinking about it. And they may not have the cause as much. The more senior people know that they probably have more families to take care of. There are more expenses coming and they kind of feel a better need. But the more that we can do it, the more that we can get that word ahead of time, then the easier their transition out of the military is going to be. And that's one thing that we want to do. We want to make it easier. And that's a big part of what Hire Heroes USA does. Uh, and let's talk about that very briefly, Chris. If someone comes up to you and says, what is Hire Heroes USA? What's the organization all about? What do you tell that person? Well, we're a national 501c3 nonprofit. So all of our services are free 
to uh, transitioning military to veterans and to military spouses. What we do is we try to empower them for the transition. So we're not going to place them into a job. We're going to teach them the skills on how to find a job in the civilian marketplace. It's going to start by assigning them to one of our transition specialists who will work with them one-on-one over the phone. So we're mostly virtual so that we can work through the computer, through email, through the phone, through text message, whatever way is best for the transitioning, um, transitioning service member or veteran. And we're going to assess where they sit in terms of their transition. We're going to help them with a civilian resume, of which most of the time they've never done one before. We're going to start them and teach them how to network, both in person and also through a LinkedIn profile and other social media. We're then going to teach them how to make sure they interview because they've probably never been through a behavioral type interview before. And all the way through, all the way through getting a job, including salary negotiation, up until the point that they've been hired. And the key is we stick with them throughout the entire process and even beyond it. If they're having trouble with their onboarding, if that job's not working out and they need more help, we're with them for as long as they want us to stay with them. And that's one of the things that differentiates Hire Heroes USA from some of the other organizations out there working in a similar space. Your team really stays with those veterans, not just up until they get the job or not getting them prepared to put in the resume, but during and after they get that work as well, correct? Yeah, our job is only starting when that resume is complete. The real key ends up being that job coaching and career counseling as we move forward. About 60% of the military veterans and the transitioning military and military spouses that we work with uh, don't end up in the career they thought that they were going to. We work with them to try to open that aperture, make them think different ways about what's out there. When we put their resume in front of them that has kind of what they did put in civilian terminology, a lot of times they're like, wow, I could, there's a lot more that I can do that I didn't think that I could. I have a lot more opportunity to find jobs that are available to me. And that's one of the huge parts of Hire Heroes is trying to get them into a job that makes sense for them. Um, not necessarily what they did in the military. We find a lot of times that's not what they want to do, but we try to help them get to where they want to be. And getting to where they want to be, of course, is the key. We have people who are not happy with their employment, people who are underemployed and so forth. Uh, it, it's really a concern out there, and there are other concerns, and that's part of why Hire Heroes USA did this Hire Heroes report. We already talked a little bit about junior enlisted being the ones who are waiting perhaps the longest to actually reach out for help from Hire Heroes USA. What were some of the other findings from the report that you and the team at Hire Heroes USA found interesting, Chris? Well, one of the ones that I find real interesting is that a good percentage of people are moving for jobs. They're not staying where either they got out. We, we look at it as migration um, in terms of where people are going for jobs. And inside of the report, we show which states are gaining, which states are losing. Um, and there's, there's some states with a large military presence, such as Texas, that tends to keep people for jobs. And there's other ones. If you're stationed in Kansas, the odds are you're going to go somewhere else. Um, and these are really interesting statistics as we look at why sometimes it takes an organization like ours that works virtually and nationally that it's important because we're going to be able to stick with them as they move. Whereas though, if you're working with a local organization, a lot of times when you're starting to move, then that help may not be as applicable. That is kind of interesting. I I think that we think of people getting out and kind of heading back home and then maybe wanting to settle down roots there. Do you think that's something that's changed over time where people are more willing to travel because it's easier to get back home? Or what do you think plays into that decision? 
Well, it's also a generational thing. Um, Today's generations are staying in jobs uh, a lot shorter time. They tend to be uh, getting better jobs by changing jobs. Um, as so, they keep themselves more mobile. So I think we're seeing this as a generational change in terms of what it is. They're also going, as we say, we open their eyes to what is available. What we find a lot of times, especially with that, we go back to the part of the Higher Heroes report with the junior enlisted not necessarily starting their transition early. That's where a lot of your underemployed situations going to exist. They're going to get out, they're unprepared for it, and they're going to take that first job they find back in back when they went home. Well, that may not be the right job for them. As a matter of fact, about 18 months, we started tracking all of our underemployed clients who who came in and said, hey, I think that I'm underemployed. And by and large, on average, we were able to increase their salary around $20,000 a year just by going through our process and being able to get into a job that more truly matches their desires, their skills and their talents and their education. Of course, along with the military members, we also have military spouses that are looking for work. Is there anything that Hire Heroes USA does for the military spouses out there? Yeah, we've been working with military spouses for about five years now. But about a year ago, we kind of did a big analysis and we said, well, is what we're doing working? And what we found is that the military spouses were not being hired at the same rate as our veteran clients. And military spouse employment right now is critical. Though veteran unemployment is low, military spouse unemployment is still four to five times um, the national average for their civilian counterparts with the same level of education, training, and experience. So what we decided to do was to make sure that we gave a focus to military spouses, and we stood up a new program called Serving Spouses, where we dedicated some transition specialists, all of whom are military spouses, so that so that they were working with military spouses more often, that they would be more experts in that one field, which is different, because you're not anymore translating military skills into civilian terminology, which is what we do a lot of times. We're now trying to overcome the barriers from somebody having to move a lot at unexpected times. Those gaps on the resume where they weren't able to get a job, where they went up and down in terms of level of responsibility, where they might have worked outside of what their chosen career field is, or where they have robust volunteer activities. That's a different challenge in terms of crafting the resume, advising them, building their network, and all the rest of this. As such, when we group this together and put a program lead on top top of it, we've seen that rate of success rise. So much so that this year, we just went over last week, we now have more spouses that have become employed than we did all of last year, and it's still October. Yeah, you've still got a couple months left to build on that number for the military spouses out there, of course. And as you just outlined for us, there are different issues that they face. Um, Of course, those who have a a spouse who's still serving in the military, they might be moving more regularly, all these different things that come up. What have you found has been the the best way to get them past those obstacles to get these these hiring numbers increased so much this year over last year? Well, I'll tell you, the biggest thing is to, is to teach them how to talk about what they've done and the experience that they've done and put it into a positive light. Um, there's a lot of times where they want to not talk about their military spouse and why their resume and why their experience may be the way that they are because they're worried about bias in the hiring uh, environment from the companies. And being able to put it in such a way that it shows it as a positive as opposed to a negative has been really beneficial to them.
Of course, you also have a great website that allows those spouses and military members and veterans to go and check out, uh, you know, the, the services that you offer. There's also a great job board on there, which I just clicked on uh, as I was talking to you and see things like Sharp Electronics, Activision Blizzard for all you World of Warcraft and uh, Call of Duty fans <laughs> out there, Traveler's Insurance, Performance Health. How important do you think it is to not only uh, work with the veterans, but also work with employers like that to try and connect from that angle, the, the connect the employers to the veteran community. Yeah, that's been a growing part of our company. Yeah, if you go to our webpage at www.hireheroesusa.org, uh, it'll lead you into all those things. You can register for services. You can see our, our job openings. We view that part of our company as called employment opportunities. Again, we don't place anybody into it, into a job but we want to show them what's out there available from companies that are seriously interested in hiring veterans. We've started to work more and more with the companies on the other side. As a matter of fact, right now we're working with over 800 different companies um, that are interested in hiring veterans. And we're also trying to help them, and it's a new program of ours, try to look internally to themselves and find out what barriers they're putting in place internally that they may not know about. Are there HR people trained on how to read a military resume, understand some of the skills that they're going to bring? Are the hiring managers aware of the great things that you learn inside of the military? And we now teach a class to companies that we, we can go to and we can talk to their HR people. We can talk to their hiring managers and we can say, here's the benefits that you get from hiring veterans and military spouses. Here's how to overlook some of the gaps in the resume and look at some of the soft skills that they bring from the military. Uh, we think that working on both ends of the spectrum here are going to continue to increase our effectiveness. Increasing effectiveness is a good thing, particularly when it comes to finding the right careers for our military veterans and our military spouses. And that's what Hire Heroes USA is all about. We're speaking with their CEO, Chris Plamp, United States Air Force veteran. Uh, Chris, you know, when we talk about uh, the employers, I've talked to military spouses who sometimes wonder, do they not want to hire us because we're military spouses and we're going to move or we might not be around for the long term? Do you think that plays a role or do you think it's more about the employers just not understanding what it is that the military spouse has to offer? I think you're going to find a full spectrum of how companies are thinking about it. I think there's still some companies out there that are a little bit leery of hiring military spouses because they know they are going to move. But I'll tell you the modern work environment where a lot more of it is cloud-based, a lot more remote, remote work is available. We're finding more and more companies that are embracing the military spouse where they know they're going to get a high-quality individual, and if they can offer them those remote opportunities when they move and stay with the company, the military spouse will be a loyal employee. As a matter of fact, we do that here at Hire Heroes USA. I mean, we're an employer. We, we now employ over 100 people. A lot of those are military spouses, and when they move, based upon the way they work, we, they stick with our job with us, and we find them to be incredibly valued members. Getting that word out to the business community is absolutely critical in terms of the long-term success of lowering that un unemployment number for military spouses. When it comes to the spouses, do you think the ability to work from home that more companies are embracing is something that's going to continue to chip away at the unemployment numbers for military spouses or the underemployment numbers, I should say, those who you know have a four-year college degree but are working a, you know an hourly shift at a, at a food service place or something like that? Do you think that the ability to work from home, telecommute or whatever you want to call it, is going to uh, have an effect on those numbers? 
I absolutely think that it does. And it also allows them in many locations to continue to work in the career field that they probably have education in and have worked before, as opposed to having to find a job in the local economy where one may not be open for them. And so I think it kind of dual in terms of there's more positions open, and then there's also more positions open in the field that they've chosen to work in. And that's a good thing to look for. I mean, if if if, if the inn is all full, it's going to be hard to find a place to stay. But uh, the internet also has has been a great advance for people out there looking for work. And there are so many places to go to, so many places that offer. You know, like oh, this is the best way to get your resume out there. Should people look at all of the things that are available online, and what are the things that they should really focus on? I mean, HireHeroesUSA.org obviously is a site they want to go to. But when they're looking around at these jobs sites and these resume sites? What are some of the red flags or the good things that they should be looking for? Well, there's a lot that we should be looking for in terms of going out there. With the rise of social media and the amount of job boards that are out there, one of our concerns is companies that are out there that are that are not truthful in terms of their advertising. One of the reasons that we set up our own board was so that our clients could know that they could go on to a place where we have validated. We actually reach out and validate um, the companies and make sure that they're they're real, make sure that they have actual jobs, and then we gain a relationship with them before they go onto our board. Just as on the other side, we actually make sure that somebody actually is a veteran. We actually ask for proof of service, military spouse, that their spouse has proof of service before they can get onto ours. As they're going into the wild world, it's one of these where they just got to to be cautious. They've just got to look and read, do a double check, look on other boards to make sure that job also exists, try to validate the company. The the good news is is that there's a lot of ways to go in and validate companies. The bad news is there's a lot of ways for people that may not have a valid job opening to make one look like there is on a job board. We're speaking with Chris Plamp. He's the CEO of Hire Heroes USA and an Air Force veteran himself. Of course, all the great work that Hire Heroes USA is doing comes at no cost to those veterans and spouses who are looking to uh, to take advantage of what Hire Heroes USA can do for them. It's not free for you guys, though. I mean, there are a lot of things. It takes uh, it takes a little money to get it going. And I was just reading, Hire Heroes USA just received a $3 million investment from the A. James and Alice B. Clark Foundation. How big is some like that for an organization like yours? It is absolutely huge, and, and I can't thank the Clark Foundation enough. Um, just like I want to thank Cooper Foundation, uh, the Call of Duty Endowment, uh, Walmart, all these great sponsors, the Schultz Family Foundation, uh, make our work possible. Um, we're completely funded through foundations, through grants, through individual donors from events that we hold uh, to make sure that our services will always be free to the transitioning military, to the veterans and the military spouses that that we serve. But a $3 million donation like that has allowed us to expand and become some of our programs to be more robust. For example, uh, we're one of the few organizations that also has a program for federal service that will help you through getting on USA jobs, that will help you through a federal, the development of a federal resume and how to go through that program because it is completely different than if you're trying to get a job with a civilian company such as Amazon or Walmart. Um, and so grants of this nature allow us to expand these other programs to, to offer more services and offer more personalized services for each, each uh, veteran that comes through. 
it also kind of answers the question that some veterans ask, hey, does anybody care about us? Obviously, there are people who are putting a lot of money into great programs like Higher Heroes USA because they know veterans sometimes need a little bit of help in, uh, in finding that right career for them afterwards. Uh, this kind of shows that there are people out there who care a lot about us, doesn't it? There are a lot of people that care a lot, um, not only our funders, but also uh, on the company side. We deal with companies all the time that truly, from the CEO down to the hiring manager, want to want to hire veterans and military spouses. Uh, they feel that it's part of their giving back to the community. I mean, the military has raised their hand to serve, and they've put their life on the line. They've given a contract to the nation, and there's many people out there that believe, now, we have a social contract back to the military. And when they get out of service, the number one thing they ask for is not a handout, is not money. They want a job. They want to get employed. They want to get, you know, become a productive member of society. And there's, a, there's hundreds of people that I talk to on a routine basis that, that part of what they want to do is provide that for them, to help them get into that job, to help them become a productive member of society, which then allows them to have a sense of purpose to go to work, to put food on the table for their family, to, you know, have a sense of accomplishment when they come home and a day's work has been well done. All these things then provide for the veteran in terms of their self-worth, in terms of, you know, caring for their family, in terms of rejoining society as a civilian. All these things are critically important, and, and we at Hire Heroes, and, and a lot of people believe that, that having a good job and employment is a cornerstone of that. We've been speaking with Chris Plam, CEO of Hire Heroes USA. Chris, if people are interested in checking out and finding out more about Hire Heroes USA, one, how do they do it? And two, who should be reaching out to your organization to look for help in finding that right career for them after their service? Well, the easiest way is to go to our website at www.hireheroesusa.org. And the people that should be reaching out is really four. It should be that transitioning military. I recommend six to 12 months before you're getting out. Any veteran who's out who wants to get a better job or improve in the job they have. You know, a lot of times we see where a good resume and being able to talk about what you did during your service can help you get that next promotion. Additionally, military spouses. Uh, you're moving every three to four years. Every time you move, you need another job. We're there to help you. We can help you multiple times. And the last one would be anybody that would care to support us. Um, we always are looking for, for great donors to, to enable us to continue to provide this free service. And, of course, those companies out there who are looking to hire, they should be reaching out to you guys, too. you got that job board. They can put job postings up. And I think the, uh, the veteran pool out there is a good one to be drawing from, and I think a lot of companies are starting to come around on that idea. Absolutely. And, uh, and all that information is on our website, which is www.hireheroesusa.org. Chris Plamp, CEO of Hire Heroes USA. You've been listening to The Morning Briefing from Entercom Radio's ConnectingVets.com. Connecting Vets every day is what we're doing, and you know where we're doing it. On the website, ConnectingVets.com, as well as on social media, where we are at ConnectingVets on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. You should really follow us on social media. If you're not, you're missing out. We're working hard each and every day to get brand new content up there that can help you live your best veteran life. All right, well, our thanks to Chris Plamp, CEO of Higher Heroes USA, and just, or even more as importantly, to you for listening. We'll see you tomorrow with more great veteran news and information. Have a great day. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.